You're listening to the weekly podcast of Liberty Baptist Church in Bristol, Connecticut. We pray you enjoy today's message. We're going to be continuing in our series of Mark, uh, looking at Jesus as a servant and how he lived there. Uh, and so if you want to get your Bibles, we'll be in Mark chapter 2 and uh, going into chapter 3 today. I got a quick announcement for our teens and our youth here. I've had a couple people reach out due to some of the teenagers being on their phones and watching TikTok videos while I'm preaching and playing games and talking loudly and doing things like that. So parents, I'm going to ask you to please do me a favor and I, I help police our kids. Let's make sure that they're engaged in the message and paying attention. I try to preach in such a way that I can try to engage them. And teenagers, I understand them. I'm 35 and I'm old, and so you don't want to listen to me, but uh, let me tell you, you want to feel old? Go play full-court basketball with an 11-year-old and an 8-year-old, and that, that will make you feel old, I promise. Did that yesterday. But nonetheless, teenagers, if you will, please just give the respect to the time that's here and not be uh, distracting those that are around you. I would appreciate that. Parents, if you'll help me with that, that would be wonderful. We all good there? Say amen. All right. Thanks so much. I want to make sure I didn't offend anybody. If I did, bye. Anyways, book of Mark. I'm kidding, kind of. Book of Mark, we're looking at Jesus as a suffering servant. Book of Mark was written by a man named John Mark. Uh, He was with Paul and Barnabas and ended up causing Paul and Barnabas to split. Later in life, John Mark became friends with Peter. And we believe that the writings of Mark is primarily from Peter's memory here. And so we'll find that it's not as detailed as Matthew and Luke are. And so as we go through here, you'll see me pulling sometimes from other books uh, to kind of fill in gaps that you might find. Today, I don't have to pull from any others because today we see a great interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees. Now, we're going to get into a topic that can be a little sensitive to some people. And so I want to acknowledge that up front. You may have family, you may have friends, you may have been or you may be wrapped up in the topic I'm going to be preaching about today. And the topic I'm preaching about today can stir up in me what I like to call righteous indignation. That's the Christian word for anger, just so we're clear. (laughs) I can get upset about this because what I'm going to preach about today is is worse than Satanism. It's taking people and it's leading them in a direction to where they believe they're following God, but, but they're not. And so if I have any point today, I get to the point, my, my voice gets raised or I get elevated and stuff, understand something. I'm not angry with people that are caught up in religion. I'm angry that they are in the religion. I don't hate a person for teaching something they've been taught. I'm angry at the fact that it even exists. And as we'll see, Jesus had the same reaction. He followed it up with something else we'll see at the end of the message today. So as I preach today on this topic of religion versus Jesus, I want you to know I don't hate people that are caught up in religion. I don't hate any person that's in a denomination. I may preach against the denominational doctrine, and the Bible tells me to do that. Paul tells us to call out those who preach a false gospel. And religion is one of the greatest false gospels that is out there today to try and tell people you have to follow a system about how you do things and what's about you in order to be closer to God, in order to achieve eternal life, when in reality that is nowhere near the truth of the Bible. So today we're going to look in Mark and see Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees. And you're going to hear me preach against religion and religiosity. And, and we can get amped up over that. There's many of you I have spoken with that have been caught up in religion before. You have come out of a system that has told you you had to do things. They have told you that you have to be baptized. They have told you that you have to pay money in order to have salvation. We can get angry about that. 
and we should. However, if all you hear today in this message is what they need to hear, you missed it. So as you listen today, let your heart be softened and ensure you've not formed your own religious ideals and you're not living from this system, but you're living from what the Bible teaches. So let's not look for what everyone else needs to know about today. Let's ask God to show us what we need to hear today. Because the question we want to ask ourselves, that's so easy for us to to get caught up in, the question we want to examine our own hearts with is, am I following a religion or am I following Jesus? We pick up in the life of Christ here as he has went around healing people. The Pharisees and Sadducees has heard of him. And they've gotten really upset. They've sent the scribes to go report on him. Uh, That happened last week in the passage we were in. And now he's moved on. And we see this interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees. They ask him three questions. He asks one, and they stop talking. And so I love this whole passage here. And truly, I could spend uh, each point I have today, I could take a message and preach. So all 17 different points I have could be, I'm kidding, um, but every, each point could be its own message. So know today I'm painting with a broad brush as we go through here to get to the heart of the matter without a full examination of each passage, okay? They each deserve their own, but, but to do this series how I'm wanting to, I want to paint with a broad brush and see the heart of the matter. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 2. We start in verse 16. Mark chapter 2, verse 16. Bible says, and when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, how is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, they that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So he's sitting down eating a meal with some folks, and and what we have, the description of those that he is around are publicans and sinners. So what's a publican? Great question. A publican was someone who was employed by the Roman government to collect taxes. Now, that's, you know, it happens. We can have our own discussion about taxes another day. But not only would they collect taxes, they would say, hey, you owe 10% plus 5%. Well, what's the 5%? It's for me. They would do like Miss Susie does with candy and, and stuff it in her pocket as she got it. And so that's, that was the, that's what a publican was. Now, I don't know about you. I'm not a fan of the IRS as it is. But if I find there's an IRS agent that's not just taking my money for Uncle Sam, but also for his own pockets, I'm really going to be upset. So the Jews really did not like publicans and sinners, unrighteous ones, those who did not follow the law according to the Pharisees. Here's Jesus, the Messiah, Son of Man, Son of God, sitting and eating with them. And the Pharisees call him out. How is he with these people? And Jesus, being a bold man, heard them and responded. And he said, I'm not here to call the righteous, but the unrighteous. I'm here for the sinners. You see, you you can't be saved until you understand you need a Savior. The Pharisees thought they had it. Sitting here today, if you're following a religious system, or if you're online viewing and you're following a religious system, you can think you have it. But you can't get saved until you've been lost. And to know that you're lost, you have to understand that you ain't got it figured out. Have you ever been told bad company corrupts? No. Yeah, bad company corrupts good morals. Heard that saying and stuff before. 
There's, it's derived from 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, Paul wrote and said, Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. Remember, communication in the King James Elizabethan English is another word for lifestyle. Uh, a, 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 an evil lifestyle can corrupt good manners, a good way of living. If that's the case, then, then why was Jesus with these people? As the Pharisees viewed them, those people. Proverbs, Solomon wrote, to his son and said, if they say, speaking of, of those that would be considered bad company, let us lay wait for blood, let us lurk privily for the innocent without cause, let us swallow them up alive as the grave, and whole as those that go down into the pit, we shall find all precious substance, we shall fill our houses with spoil, cast in thy lot among us, that means come be with us, come do what we're doing, let us all have one purse, Solomon says, my son. Walk not thou in the way of them, refrain thy foot from their path. He's telling them, don't be around people that are going to do these types of things. People we could call sinners. People the Pharisees refer to as sinners. So here is Proverbs, Solomon writing under inspiration of God. Jesus would have had the Proverbs of Solomon at that point and known them well. He would have known what Paul was going to write. So why would he be around people like this. Jesus wasn't there to do what they were doing. Jesus was there to show them what he could do. We get around people sometimes, and as Christians, there's been, since, I mean, my understanding since the 90s, we love the word boycott. And we like to separate ourselves from everything of the world and just push everything and everything away. Now listen, I'm not telling you not to have biblical standards and convictions. I'm not telling you not to have some separation from some things. But I am telling you that if you look at people and say, I can't be around them because they're not like me, you're not following Jesus, you're following religion. You see, we, we, we can't look at people and say, like, well, they're this, that, or the other way and aren't followers of Christ. Because Jesus said, go ye therefore into all nations. We have to spend time with people that don't know Jesus. I'm going to shock you. I'm going to blow your minds. Are you ready for an amazing truth? This, tweet this. People that don't believe in Jesus don't act like people that believe in Jesus. Y'all good? You okay after that? Jesus was around them for one reason and one reason only. It wasn't to join them. It wasn't to be with them. It was to call them to repentance. Jesus spent his time with them and he had an agenda. His response there at the end where he said, and get back to the passage, where he said, uh, they that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. He was in this group of people, and he did not whisper his reaction to the Pharisee. He goes, oh, guys, listen, I'm just here so that they can follow Jesus. No, he said in front of everyone, the publicans, the sinners, the righteous, and the unrighteous said, hey, I'm here because they need to know who God is and that he has sent his son and they need to be called to repentance. He didn't hide his agenda. See, as Christians, we can make the excuse sometimes, well, I'm going to hang out at the bar and I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to go with these people that are doing this thing. That's not really holy or righteous, but I'm going to, I'm going to do this and do that so that I could be a good example. But then we don't say anything about Jesus. Riddle me that, Batman. How are we going to be an example if we're not following the example Jesus gave? 
The Pharisees didn't understand this. They thought it would make them look bad. See, religion teaches you it's all about you and how you look to make sure that everything's okay. You can't be seen with these people because people may think about something weird about you. Well, listen, you're, you're in a whole room full of weird people right now. People are going to think stuff. But Jesus said it, it's not about how it makes me look. It's about calling sinners to repentance. You see, the, the difference between a young person, because I don't, I don't know a Christian teenager that hasn't said, like, well, I can hang out with them and be a good example. Yeah, I hope so. But, but the difference between that happening and this is the moment that the sinners and publicans got up from dinner and went to go be sinners and publicans and do what sinners and publicans did, Jesus stepped away. He came to call them to repentance. He came to love on them at a meal. And then when they went to go do what they do, he stepped away. He didn't take part in their sin. See, the Pharisees didn't understand this. They thought just being around them was sinful. Because they were not righteous. But not righteous according to who? Not righteous according to themselves. We'll see in just a minute how the Pharisees have added to the law now to make themselves look better and held people to a standard they didn't even achieve. See, the Pharisees' hearts had been impacted by religion. Because religion says, you must look exactly like us. But Jesus says, I came for them that are not like me. Jesus said he came to seek and to save that which is lost. And while I can make the argument that many get up who caught up in religion uh, are lost, Jesus said he was also looking for the sinner, an unbeliever, a person who has no faith. So should we. When I first moved here in 2019, I remember I asked some friends that were pastors. I was praying, and God, how am I, how am I supposed to tell people about Jesus if all I spend my time around is Christians? I was a pastor of a church. I moved across the country. I've got no family in town. Who, who am I supposed to tell about Jesus? How am I supposed to develop relationships with people to tell about Jesus if I don't know anybody that doesn't know Jesus? Now, some could say, hey, that's not bad. It's a good group of friends. I don't disagree. But I'm, I'm called to tell people about Jesus. So I had to pray on that. God, can you open the doors? And then within the three and a half years, I've been able to connect with people that don't know Jesus. I was invited to a real estate meetup the other night. It's been a few weeks now. And I was in a place I haven't been in since before I was 23 years old, a hotel bar. Because after a real estate meetup, let me tell you what people in real estate like to do. Drink. So your pastor sat and had wings off at a table away from the bar with people, that a guy bought a bottle of wine for himself. Got over here drinking an old-fashioned. And then they got to look at me. Hey, so what do you do? So glad you asked. I'm a pastor. No one ran away. They kept talking to me. Now you say that to somebody at a gas station, they run. Not a one of them went to church. I don't know if any of them were saved. I'm a pastor. I get to, I get to preach every Sunday. I'd love for you to be there. 11 o'clock. I'd love to talk to you about it sometime. Yeah, no, I'd love to, I'd like to invest in real estate, love the idea of it anyway. I've got one house, I'd love to have another one. Why don't you call me sometime? To this day, I don't know if any of them have set foot in a church. 
but how could they have heard about Jesus at a church if they'd never went? See, Jesus didn't say, go tell everyone to come to your church service. Jesus said, you go tell people about me. You go interact with them. You go be with them. As I sat there, I remember thinking, I wonder what it was like for Jesus. Because let me tell you, the conversations you hear at a hotel bar are not the most holy things in the world. <laughs> what was it like for Jesus with the public and sinners talking about things publicans and the sinners talk about? What was it like for him sitting there amongst that? I wonder if he sat there uncomfortable and like, oh, I need to go. People are going to think things. No, he didn't. I see Jesus sitting there just hearing it. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Father, open the door for a conversation. Lord, let, let this go away so I can talk, talk about you. Now, Jesus probably took a few more steps and was a lot smarter than I am and led a conversation differently. But how can we tell people about Jesus if the only people who are around are people that know Jesus? How can we tell people about Jesus if we're unwilling to talk about Jesus around people that don't know Jesus? The Pharisees saw it as something that would detract from righteousness. Jesus said, this is the reason I came. And he goes on here in Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 22, and says, And the disciples of John and of the Pharisees used to fast, and they came and say unto him, Why do the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but thy disciples fast not? And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. No man also soweth a piece of new cloth in an old garment, else the new piece that filled it up take away from the old, and the rent is made worse. And no man put new wine into old bottles, else the new wine doth burst the bottles. And the wine is spilled, and the bottles will be marred, but the new wine must be put into new bottles. See, this is one of those passages that's got some meat to it. I could spend some time here, and one day I may. An entire message could be preached on just this passage alone. So I encourage you to spend some time this week examining this. But to give you an overview of it, you've got John referenced here. This is John the Baptist, not John the Apostle, not the one following Jesus around. This is not the, the one who wrote the Gospel of John. This is John the Baptist, the precursor to the Messiah who preached the coming Christ and baptized them that we read about uh, in the first passage that we went over in Mark. And then you have the Pharisees that are mentioned. Well, we've heard enough of the Pharisees to know who they are. They would fast, and in its literal form from Scripture is from food. Nowadays, we hear of like fasting from a number of different things. Well, that's not bad, but the biblical model is food. And the Pharisees had said, we, we fast. John's disciples fasted. Why don't your disciples fast? And Jesus says, they've got the bridegroom with them. They have the Messiah. They have no need to fast. They're good because I'm here. But the day will come where they will fast. See, the, the Pharisees had added on to the fasting of the Old Testament. They had said, we fast on, I think it was like Wednesdays and Saturdays. Or, or Mondays and Thursdays. They fasted two days a week. Don't remember which one right now. But they would fast on those days. And that's when they fasted. And if you weren't, you weren't right with God unless you fasted on those days. See, in the New Testament, we don't have a command to fast, but we do have an expectation. When Jesus is speaking to his disciples, 
And they ask him about praying. He says, when you pray. And we understand that to mean the expectation of prayer. The expectation of a relationship with him through prayer. And then in the, in the, the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, notice what he says here in verse 16. Moreover, when you fast... See, there's that same expectation. What's he say? He says, Be not as the hypocrites, Pharisees, Sadducees, of a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces, and they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. They would fast. And if you've ever fasted from food before, most I've ever done is about three days. Let me tell you, day three, you do not feel like being the happy-go-lucky individual you can be. Okay? I'm not trying to be braggadocious, I'm just being honest with you. If you've went without food for a period of time, those hunger pains sit in and, and different things going on in your body and you get irritable, you do not want to walk up and say, hey brother, how are you? But the Pharisees and Sadducees, when they would fast on their days, they would disfigure their faces, they would make themselves look worse than they are and say, oh, it's so terrible. I've been without food for days or at least two hours. But I'm righteous. You see, they would, they would put on a show. And people would look at him like, oh, wow, that guy loves Jesus. That guy's a follower of God. He's fasting. Look at him. There's the reward. They got the attention they wanted. And that's all the attention they were going to get. Now, we as New Testament Christians don't have a command to fast, but it appears as though Jesus spoke as though there's an expectation for his followers to fast. He said it here in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. He says it here to the Pharisees. When I'm gone, they will fast. But why? How many of y'all like NASCAR? Talk about fasting and NASCAR. Where's this going? Don't worry, we'll get there. NASCAR, anybody raise your hands again? Okay, fantastic, good. God bless you all. I still never got it. Left turn, left turn, left turn. Like It just doesn't do it for me, Okay. <laughs> I know Joe, Joe's not here. Joe's an, if y'all don't know Joe, Joe's an announcer for NASCAR and a whole bunch of racing and stuff. And a man loves, loves racing. He announces for it. I still like, want to hear him announce. All right, guys, we're going around turn one and turn two. Who knew? Anyways, those cars that run those races are finely tuned machines. Precision tuning through computers. I mean, they make them just amazing things. Because they have to run a grueling race. Hundreds of laps around a track. And, and I mean, it's just going crazy right? One mistake can lead to disaster. One, one fault on the car can make things just go haywire. Even with that fine tuning and the expensive parts, the best mechanics working on it, that car can't run the race without stopping. At some point, it's got to take a pit stop. They've got to check the conditions. They've got to be able to, uh, I found this out because I texted Joe and was like, hey, Joe, talk to me about race cars because I don't know enough. They've got to check the tires and make sure the pressure's good because the temperature of the track can change throughout the day. I'm like, wow. Yeah, I thought, no. Okay, cool. But they've got to do so much in this pit stop. Check the fluids, make sure that they've got their, the gas in there, take care of all these things. That pit stop is an opportunity for the car to quit consuming everything and refresh itself and get ready for the rest of the race it's got to face. You see, your body is an excellent creation made in the image of God. So much happening in here. 
so much happening in your life. Every day you're running this race that is set before you with the stress, the anxiety, and everything else that plagues you. You're following after Jesus as best you can, understanding your shortcomings and overcoming the guilt that, I, that you shouldn't have. We face so much on a daily basis. We've got so many external factors going on, and we're really consuming all of this. But sometimes we need to stop and refresh ourselves. Fasting is intended for us to stop consuming everything the world has to offer and redirect our focus to consume what God has to offer. Fasting is that time where we spend our, um, we, we, we take and we, we stop with physical food to seek after spiritual food. Now, a couple weeks ago, I asked a question about prayer. Because we saw how Jesus said, when you pray. I asked, how's your prayer life? Now we've seen this morning, there's an expectation of fasting. There, there's a time in scripture where uh, the, the, the disciples were trying to cast out a demon. And they couldn't. And Jesus comes down and he said, they asked, why can't we do this? And he said, this kind only comes by prayer and fasting. Hmm. As a pastor, I had to look in the mirror this week and ask the question I'm about to ask you. How's your fasting life? There's an expectation of stopping everything to put a focus on Jesus. Are we? The Pharisees found this expectation, added to it, and held everyone else to their standard. Because religion says, you have to do what I do. But Jesus says, it is done. We don't fast for salvation. We don't fast to be more right with God. Jesus did that on the cross. Fasting is us saying, I shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The reference there is to Jesus when he was being uh, tempted by Satan. You need spiritual nourishment. And there's an expectation from Christ of more nourishment than a devotion and prayer before you walk out the door. I don't care when you fast. I don't care how you fast. But Jesus said to fast. Not to be righteous, but to be closer to Him. To have more of Him. We allow so much, and really, this isn't the beginning of it. This is just like, I don't know how to say culmination, but this is the easiest thing for me to point to. How much are we consuming, y'all? Have you checked your screen time? Okay, all right. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all are looking at me, Pastor, mine's a flip phone. Hey, God bless you, okay? I wish I had one. We consume so much. When's the last time we stopped and said, I, I'm done? I just want you. I just want you. It has to be purposeful. It's not just going to happen. If for you, if that just happens in your life, God bless you. But at 35 with three kids and pastor to church, it doesn't just happen. We have to be intentional about it. How's your fasting life? Don't be religious and look at everyone else and say, well, they're not fasting. They're not fasting. 
No, no, no. Look at Jesus and say, because of what you've done, I want you more than everything else. Final question the Pharisees come to and ask is in Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. He says, And it came to pass when he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day, and his disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? And he said unto them, Have ye never read what David did when he had need and was unhungered? He and they that were with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abathar the high priest, and did eat the showbread which is not lawful to eat, but for the priests, and gave also to them which were with him. And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. This is a whole message in itself. The Sabbath day is Saturday, the final day of the week, the seventh day that God rested from creation, something he instituted for his people and gave to them as a gift. The Old Testament laws around the Sabbath are actually relatively vague. It's to do no work on the Sabbath. Uh, one says you shouldn't have a fire in your home. Another part says uh, when it, the Israelites were out in the desert and they had manna that came down, they would collect manna every day in the morning to eat. And it says don't collect manna on the Sabbath day. You'd collect double portion the day before and then you'd eat that on the Sabbath day. And the Old Testament records Jews or the Israelites there, they came out on the Sabbath day to collect the manna and there was none. I just wondered, does God look at him like, what, do you think I was joking? Guess who doesn't eat today? You get to fast. These laws and things that surround the Sabbath in the Old Testament as we have it are, are kind of vague. But the Pharisees didn't like that. And they added 39 specific ways you are to keep the Sabbath. One of them was you could pluck corn, but you couldn't shuck corn. It was okay to pluck corn on the Sabbath, but not okay to shuck the corn on the Sabbath. And what the disciples and Jesus did walking through this cornfield was they plucked it off, used their hands to get the shucks off, and began eating corn. And the Pharisees are coming up saying, why are you doing this? This is, this is unlawful. And now he looks at them and he says, well, don't you remember what David did? David, an Old Testament king, he was with some men. They were traveling on the Sabbath day, and he was hungry, and he gets into the tabernacle. Now, tabernacle is a very holy place, and they had something called the table of showbread. This was 12 loaves of bread that was used for the priests that were there, and they were the only ones that could eat of that. Well, David and his men just rolled up in there and grabbed some and started eating because they were hungry. There's a little bit more of the story in that, but ultimately that's what takes place. And Jesus asked them, like, hey, this king that you revere and look back to, you remember what he did when he had a need? The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It was made so that we could have rest. It was made so that we could enjoy God on that day and not all of the other things that we have to do. But the Pharisees in their religion had taken and added to that. Now, I'm going to ask a question, and I want a head nod response, okay? Everybody ready? All right. Is it wrong to establish convictions and standards on top of biblical truth. Shake your head like this. Okay, good, good, good. Glad you all agree. Is it wrong to hold someone else to my standards and convictions? Shake your head like this. Yes, good, amen. I can stop preaching now. No, so it is wrong for us to tell someone else, hey, listen, because the Bible says for us to be modest in our apparel, I only wear long sleeve shirts on Tuesdays because of that. And to be holy and righteous with God, you have to wear long sleeve shirts on Tuesdays because that's modesty. Sure, go for it. 
If God tells you to wear long sleeve shirts on Tuesday, wear long sleeve shirts on Tuesdays. But don't look at me, especially in summertime. Sun's out, guns out. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Y'all laughed way too hard at that. All right. Tim, I got to get back in the gym, man. We'll get there. See, the problem was not that they said, we're going to not do these things in order to be holy before God. The problem was they had established them and looked at everyone else and said, you have to do these things in order to be right with God. You see, they started to get their own righteousness, their own right acts, and say, this elevates us in the eyes of God and makes us better than everyone. They must have forgot what Isaiah said. The Isaiah said, your righteousness is filthy rags. And that filthy rag, I love describing this thing. That filthy rag is, the is intended to represent the rag that the lepers would use. The rag, the lepers, leprosy was a disease of the skin. They would get boils and pus and blood and all sorts of ooey gooey stuff that'd come out. And they would have to take this rag and they would, they'd wipe it. And they had to walk around and hold that rag over their faces and shout when they came into the public square, unclean, unclean. That rag full of pus and blood and goo from the body, that's your righteousness. So the Pharisees had said, our righteousness is better than yours. Achieve our righteousness. But Romans chapter 4 says, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness, Jesus. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed. If we believe on him, that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. 2 Corinthians 5.21 clears this up a bit. For he hath made him to be sin for us. He hath made Jesus to bear our sins, who knew no sin, Jesus being perfect, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Our righteousness is filthy rags. The righteousness of God is imputed onto us because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and our faith in Him. That's how we achieve righteousness, by faith. Because it comes from God and God alone. He answered a man that came to him and uh, they called him good rabbi and he said, why call me good? There is none good but the Father. There is none righteous but the Father. It comes from Him. So, Religion says you're not righteous because you're not like me. But Jesus says, judge not. That's a famous passage. We all love to say that. Only God can judge me. Only God can judge me. Or we can't judge others. That's not true. Matthew chapter 7 is where this passage comes from. Jesus says, judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with that measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. Whatever you're using to judge a person is going to be used to judge you, is what, what Jesus is saying here. So what do we use to judge people based upon? Our opinions? No. When we judge people based on our opinions, we put ourselves in the place of God. Well, how do we judge? We judge based on Scripture. We judge based upon the Word of God. Now, what do we judge? Well, when we see a person that is a drunkard who gets drunk, we can say that they are in sin because the Bible calls drunkenness sin. Okay, But if we have someone who says, I go to church on Saturdays, 
Because that's when I worship Jesus, we don't get to look at him and say, thou shalt not go to church on Saturdays. Because the Bible doesn't say that. When we go back to the Bible and the word of God, we're not the one doing the judging. We're just agreeing with the judge. See the difference? And now this isn't for us to judge someone looking at me. That person gets drunk. I shall not be around them. <laughs> what an idiot. This person does this sin or that sin. I'm not going to spend my time with those people. Pharisees are snobby English people, by the way. Anyways, I'm kidding. If there's anyone English watching, I'm sorry. We don't judge for that purpose. We judge so we can look at them and say, do you not see what you're missing out on? Our hearts should break. So we've had three questions from the Pharisees over to Jesus, and Jesus has answered and responded to them by showing them religion is a system that breaks down because it depends on you, and Jesus has said something completely opposite of religion. And then he asked them a question. Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, He entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth, means come here. And he said unto him, Is it lawful to do good? So he's talking to the Pharisees. Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath day, or to do evil? To save a life, or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he had looked around about them with anger, mm -mm, hang on, follow it up, being grieved. What's grieved me? Sorrowness, sadness. Angry, but sad. Angry, but concerned for their souls. For the hardness of their hearts, he said unto the man, stretch forth thy hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored, whole as the other. He said, can I do evil, or can I do good on the Sabbath day? Should I heal this person, or just leave him be? And the Pharisees had no response. He got to the heart of the matter. Are your laws and your expectations that you've put on people about doing good things for them, or evil things? Are, are, are they about helping people or hurting people? He got to the heart of the matter, and they had no response. In fact, the very next verse, the Pharisees went out and teamed up with what's known as Herodians, people who supported Herod. Pharisees and Herodians did not get along, but Jesus united them because after this, they went to them and said, we have to kill him. When a person's religion gets attacked by the truth of Scripture, there's going to be an emotional response. If you're here today and you've been following a religious system to be saved, to have a relationship with God, you will, you will never know what it means to have freedom in Christ. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm done with saying these prayers that, that they tell me to pray. I'm done with giving what they tell me to give. I'm done with having to attend when they tell me to attend. I'm done with this religious system. Now, I've got great news for you. That system didn't come from Jesus. Jesus said, for, whoso loves the world, for God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him should not perish but has everlasting life. 
I just misquoted that, didn't I? He sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but has everlasting life. Your faith in Jesus is what brings righteousness. It's what makes eternal salvation possible. Not your works. You can't do enough good works. You can't pay the debt he paid. And he still said, I'll pay it. So if you're here this morning, and if at any point, not someone else out there that you can point to a cousin, aunt, or uncle that's caught up in religiosity, but if at any point you have found yourself judging people based off a religious system that you've created that's not part of the Bible, today's your opportunity to confess and repent. And if you're here today and you didn't know salvation was by grace through faith, you thought you had to work for it, you have the opportunity to trust in Jesus as your Savior. At the end of every message, we have something called a time of response. This is an opportunity for you to go to God and respond as he has worked in your heart through this message. It's not a time to play, kids. It's not a time to just let your mind wonder about what lunch will be. This is the opportunity you have to take the word of God you've just listened to and go to him and say, God, examine my heart in light of this truth. What do I need to confess? What decision do I need to make? How can I be less religious and have a better relationship with you? Would you bow your heads, please? If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, it's not complicated. I was blessed enough to have a conversation with a man on Friday where he trusted Jesus at a coffee shop. You have a church setting. You have nothing else going on around you. Just you and the Lord. As Christians right now are praying for your salvation, I want to help you make that decision. John 3, 16, I've quoted multiple times, makes it plain and clear that God loves you and he sent Jesus to die for you. I said at the beginning of the message, you need to know you're lost before you can be saved. Accept that you're a sinner. Hey, I'm sure you've told a lie. We're, you're not perfect, and that's okay. Because the one that is perfect, Jesus, gave his life so that you could live. If you put your faith in Jesus this morning as your Savior, as your only hope for heaven, the Bible says you are saved. So, Pastor, how do I do that? Well, you call out to the Lord. There's no fancy words to say, but I can lead you in a prayer real quick if it would help. You can say, Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Maybe you need to say, Dear Jesus, I've, I've been religious. Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God who died for my sins and rose again the third day. I trust you as my Savior. If that's you and you prayed that prayer this morning, you made the best decision you could ever make. If you're here and you didn't make that decision, if you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, what's stopping you? What's keeping you from this relationship with God? I'd love to talk to you about that. Christians this morning, as we examine our own hearts as compared when we think of religion versus Jesus, 
Let us not compare our hearts to those that are caught up in religion, but let us look at ourselves. Have we allowed religion to control our lives? Are we coming to church because it's a religious act or do we come to church so that we can worship our God and hear from his word? Do we spend time in the word throughout the week and in prayer because we're supposed to or because we get to? Are we doing kind things to one another because God said to or because we think it makes us look good? If you're here this morning, I pray the Holy Spirit's worked in your heart. I'd love to talk to you about decisions afterwards. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you and praise you for your mercy and grace that pours out on us sinners. You came for those that are like us, unrighteous, unholy people that needed a righteous and holy God. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We praise you. Our salvation is secure in him. And God, we, we ask that you help us to take our next step of faith. Let us grow closer to you in our relationship. Help us to lead others to you so that they may know the freedom found in Christ. Lord, we pray for those that are caught up in religion. And God, while, while it may anger us, Lord, I pray that it brings sorrow in our hearts. I pray it grieves us as it grieved you, Lord, to the point we're willing to speak your name and your truth to them in a kind, loving way, to show them the truth so that they may know you the way we know you. Be with us as we go out this week. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I thank you for your time and your attention this morning. I have a few announcements and then we'll, we'll be on. There's a couple things I want you to take note of. In this back, my right, your left as you're looking at me, table over here, there's a letter from the Bristol Police Department thanking us for our involvement for, uh, with the um, tragedy that took place this last October. Some of you may not know, we opened our online giving portal for them to receive money for the Bristol Heroes Fund because they didn't have any at the time and collected, oh, where's Amy? Amy, are you in here? Raise your hand. Amy, she's downstairs. I was trying to find somebody that knew a number. We collected, I think, over $100,000 and was able to give that over to the Bristol Police Department. And we didn't get any of it. There was church made no money whatsoever off that. We were just a clearinghouse, if you will. It came to us and it went out. And there's just a letter thanking us for our involvement there. I wanted to set that out for you if you'd like to go look at that. Uh, and then also on the back tables, we're starting our signups for our next session of life groups. Uh, I encourage everyone to be a part of our life groups. Uh, we grow our, our mission statement that I preached over in January is connect to God, grow closer to Him and each other, serve the community, and share the gospel locally and worldwide. We grow closer to one another in intimate settings. This is difficult. Approximately 170 some people in here every week or more. It's hard to connect and grow intimate relationships. But through our life groups, you have a small group setting to where you can get to know one another. You can pray with one another and, and go through life together with one another. Uh, I was thankful. We've had just great testimonies of people growing in our group, and I'll be, I'm hoping to share those with you soon. But we've got three starting up, and they're going to start up on um, 
Wednesday, April 12th, the Wednesday following Easter. It's at 6.30 on Wednesday nights. We've got a few different ones here. We've got one called Parenting, Getting It Right. This one is Sarah and I will be leading this one on parenting. So if you're a parent, if you're not a parent, if you, if you plan on being parents at some point, we'd love to have you a part of that. If you're a grandparent that has went through life, I'd love for you to be a part of this. We do not restrict our life groups based upon age or life stage or anything like that because I want people that have been where I am speaking into uh, where I'm at in life. I know as a 35-year-old pastor, there's a lot of life I've got to live, prayerfully, uh, and a lot I've got to learn. But I need those that have gone on before me. And so for our parenting group, I encourage you to uh, take part in that. You can sign up if you scan the QR code or write uh, back on the tables over there. They're there. Uh, our uh, my friend Dave Mariani is going to be teaching a Bible book study on the book of Job. Uh, it's from Warren Wearsby. It's talk about waiting on God in difficult times. Fantastic study. Um, I, I have two commentaries that I read for to prep myself for preaching. One of them is Warren Wearsby, and I'm, he's just a fantastic author and writer here. And this is a great ex exposition of the book of Job and how to go through suffering well. And then Tony Jalbert's going to be teaching one for us called Anxious, Fighting Anxiety with the Word of God. I think these are just fantastic studies for us to go through. They're all going to be at 6.30 on Wednesday nights. All of them are open to any age, any gender, there's two, just so we're clear. Uh, any age, any gender, uh, and uh, any life stage, we'd love for you to come be a part of those. There's, the two of them are here at the church. We have our uh, teen program for your teens, and we have our kids program for ages up to sixth grade, so your kids can be cared for. Uh, and then uh, we've got uh, two other things I've done, I promise. Hospitality and life group leader training. If you are a life group leader, if you are going to be a life group leader, if you're thinking, I might like to do that one day, on Wednesday, April 5th, we are going to hold a life group leader and hospitality team training. Life group leader training will take place here, and so will hospitality team. What's our hospitality team? Those people that take care of the coffee, the people that greet you as you come in and take care of all, all those things. If you'd like to be a part of that, we'd love for you to come out on April 5th at 6.30, and we'll have that training for you. Have a great night of fellowship there. Uh, I'm not, I would like for there to be food and coffee, but I'm not going to say there will be because I don't think we've talked about that yet in a staff meeting. So before I commit my staff to something, let me wait, but I'm hoping we'll have food, okay? Uh, and so we'll, we'll have a good time that night, April 5th, 6.30. Miss Susie, you're leading our hospitality team now, right? That's Miss Susie over there. If you've got questions about that, you can talk to her. And then life group leader training, my, I'll be in here leading on that one. So please plan to attend. If you are a life group leader, want to be a life group leader, think you may be one day, I'd love for you to be there. And then the last thing I have is uh, Easter. Easter services, 9.30 and 11. I hope you'll be at one or both of them if you'd like to hear the same message twice. Um, but at the 11 o'clock service, we are going to have baptisms. We've already got two. I'm having a conversation with a third one today. And, and I'd like to talk with you. If you've never been scripturally baptized by immersion after trusting in Jesus as your Savior, I'd love to have a conversation with you about that. And what a great day to do that on Easter at the 11 o'clock service. So if you'd like to be baptized, have a conversation about it, fill out that next step card, write baptism on it. And myself or Amy will be in touch with you to set up a time for us to get together and discuss what it means to take that next step of faith and follow. Jesus, because it is a command. It is something we're called to do, and I pray that you'll take that step if you haven't yet. Let's Thank you for joining us. Please like our podcast and leave us a five-star review. God bless, and have an amazing week.